If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Pixel Sift. I'm Gianni and also wait, uh, I'm Gianni and as always I'm joined by my co-hosts Mitch and Scott. Hey hey. Uh, hello. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, James is on the video phone, probably very happy that he doesn't have a microphone in front of him right at the moment. On today's show, we have an interview with Matt Comey. He's from Big Bucket uh, Software, the studio that's behind the games Space Age and The Incident. Yeah, we're also um, in this show. We are trying to identify the hurdles between um, in transferring digital ownership between users. Yes, and finally, we're talking cross-platform play. The walls between consoles may be in the process of breaking down. All that, and we'll also be announcing the winners of our World's Fastest Pizza competition coming up later in the show, and all of that coming up on episode 24 of Pixel Sift. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. Yeah, okay, so you can buy and sell any physical goods that you own, but what about your digital stuff? You know, your Steam library, your Twitter account, um, also your sweet collection of weapons in any MMO you might play. But to what extent do these elements belong to you? So, now, like, The reason yeah. why we're talking about this is because <clears throat> recently there's been a, a partnered Twitch streamer, and partnered Twitch streamers sort of start making money off being a high-profile Twitch streamer on thing, and they, they've got a revenue source. They've split up with their husband... And the account and all the assets and everything for that particular account has now been transferred away from the person who was actually the main personality on the actual Twitch stream. Um, the account, Scott, is... Uh, Ara Gaming. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but A-R-A under slash gaming. And basically, they've now, through the divorce proceedings, has uh, had the assets sort of split up and there's been a sort of transfer of this particular content across to someone else. You know, this is different to a lot of other things, but it's an online sort of persona. Um, the person who creates the content is the one who sort of was in charge of it and they're known as Ara Gaming. Yeah. Um, but now it's been given away to someone else um, and the revenue source of that has been given away to someone else as well. Look, a lot of it's not exactly known because there are legal proceedings and whatever and there's been some kind of, you know, uh, silence clauses and whatever signed. Uh, but what we can gather from this so far is that, yeah, there's been a divorce and they asked, they've been sold, basically the stream's been sold as an asset and this person's bought it. And how it's been sold and how it's all gone down is completely up in the air. But like this stream has 30,000 fans. I mean, it's still up in the kind of, you know, 28-ish thousand area even after this new person's taken over it but they've started like an you know ara gaming gate type thing it's a big hullabaloo it's very interesting because now we've got people who you know have 
this is the accounts are online. It's yeah. a, it's it's kind of I guess a business as well because people are pulling in money for this. And in normal sort of proceedings, when you're dividing up assets between people, you can you know split these businesses down the line and all that sort of stuff. But this person here is basically they're selling it on their own their own back, and now have, have it, basically it all, lost access to that. It all seems pretty black and white until it's not. I guess <laughs> like it, it well that. It seems morally black and white, sure, or uh-huh. ethically black and white. But, you know, as far as digital ownership goes and digital content, we've always had this kind of lack of ownership issues. You know, it's it's non-transferable, non-transferable rights, basically. It just seems like if you own the license to something, even on, like, let's say, for example, Steam, like, a real ownership, you should be able to do whatever you want with that license. Like, you should be able to sell it to whoever you want for however much you want or you should be able to just give it to someone or transfer it to someone else but you can't really do that so do you actually own it that's the well, thing well, the other question as well is because, because you sure is, as hell paid money for it yeah and this yeah. is a contract that someone would have signed with twitch in order to get the um the partnership as part of that so yeah, is yeah. it possible then if people get to a point and they say hey look you know i'm sick of streaming can i sell my account now because this person was able to trade it away through that proceeding is it a transferable thing is that invalidation of of the contracts that you yeah. would be and signing then in that case what are you actually selling are you selling the account are you selling your content or are you selling that user base that's invested in you well i feel like you're selling just like you would if you sold a shop you're selling the name and the you know the, the setup and whatever but like <clears throat> uh, I mean that's probably different actually because there's a tangible thing I guess you're not going to be selling all your microphones and equipments you again s- like this is a downside of digital ownership there's you see no similar in, examples it's intangible objects hmm, you see sim- similar examples with people who use online uh, accounts for uh, like review purposes and things mm-hmm. like on Reddit for example as well people will um, basically farm uh, like a good rating in the thing and then sell that onto advertisers so that people will use that to put advertising out there but it has a good reputation attached to it and that's only a you know it's an account that you're not supposed to transfer your accounts between lots of different other people but you know there's that sort of aspect to it and it's still sort of in this weird sort of I don't know, morally ambiguous sort of situation. Yeah. And what, what makes this really interesting, I think, is apart from, you know, us talking about the general digital ownership of, you know, say Steam libraries and stuff like that, where, you know, it's not transferable. It's just accounts that kind of have the rights to use it. Um, like you said, this, this is, she's had, got a contract signed with Twitch. So I feel like um, everything's kind of happened really quickly with the, sell, the selling of this account. And I don't know if it's all being done Well, it's not even sold, really, because, you know, it's a division of assets. Yeah, this wasn't yeah, really a sale. But, but somebody's, yeah. somebody's purchased this channel, no? Well, I, presumably, we don't know that someone else has taken over the mm. channel now and is now running yeah. it, um, so it's who's all not the original of, person. Yeah. So we don't know exactly about this, but the the account itself has been transferred via a court okay. to someone else, and now someone else is running it who wasn't the original person. Who, who, also, who, I think strange. I think there's the issue of access versus ownership. So, like, mm. I can give someone access to something. But to what extent do they own it as well? But, but like, because a computer doesn't know. Mm. Like a computer, like I could log into something and then I get up and leave. And then you sit down on my computer. And then do you now suddenly, since I've logged into it, you're now acting as me, I guess? Well, but, well you don't get the same rights as prints and books. So like yeah. you, you are just, you're just owning a license to use the digital files and that's all. It is in a lot of these contracts that you sign with all these things, you are signing a a non-transferable license personally between you and the company. So, for example, you know, no one will probably pull you up on someone coming over to your house and playing on your Steam library, for example. Yeah. Right? But if you gave your password out to someone else to log into your account, then that is against the terms of service of the particular 
deal. And one of the things that people are really interested in and something that we haven't quite worked out yet because we haven't reached that sort of legal precedent yet, but people have got these big libraries of things. You know, iTunes is one example. Yes. Um, you know, Steam libraries, other Kindle online, books. other things as well yeah. that people have purchased and they've got a long-term license for this particular thing until the company kind of decides that the license is over. But do you pass those licenses on to your descendants or people who you, when you name as your nexus kin? Yeah. That's the thing, yes. You know, so. do, do they just disappear? Is it a, a, a license like that? That's something that we still haven't quite worked out yet. And I think with similar situation to this one here where the account has been transferred over to uh, a former partner, because it would technically be considered a shared asset, moving it to one asset is, would be like a house, for example. Like, how does it work? We don't... Well, there's certain... like It depends on the platform we're talking about, I guess. I mean, you know, the Xbox has options uh, with its game sharing options, you know, making a separate Xbox its home, Xbox, etc. Um, but I mean... But at the end of the day, that one, it only one Xbox can be the home Xbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, like it, as far as and it's almost I think as, as far as this is difference as well because one person has now lost access to yeah. this particular mm. account in terms of like okay, you've both got access to it and you can share it with other people like you would share a normal physical game. But now this one person. You know, and it's the same as when people sell accounts in, you know, World of Warcraft, for example. People would sell high-level accounts to other people against the terms of service, so you can lose access to that account as well. So, you know, it's it, it's a really complex issue, and I think we're going to sort of see more of this as as it sort of progresses. Yeah, along. as as this technology gets older and people we get older people yeah. who own these knocking off get, yeah yeah we but don't we don't know because like yeah for example like i remember jimmy barnes who's a famous australian <laughs> singer said that he has this huge itunes library and he wants to be able to pass it on to his kids when he passes away well imagine i, I read something like imagine if your parents you know had tens of thousands of uh, songs in their library or records or books or whatever like you would be kind of upset if all those assets were just gone and taken away from what you you think is you know something that belonged to your parents like I, th- I mean the simplest thing alternative here is just kind of you know leave your devices and accounts um, the access to them to your children or next of kin or whatever and I think that's a recommendation that a lot of people give that you should have somewhere in your will where you've got a list all your of passwords all your passwords yeah I mean we live in a digital era doing that kind of thing it just makes sense but there should be some kind of like actual legal way for us to do it without just giving up our passwords so l- l- let's say that the passwords legal were protection not, let's say the passwords that were they're not written down if if a will says that if a will says that Ooh. these people get the account is it up to the? Uh, is the company bound to give the password out? Yeah. I don't wow. think so. I don't know. It's really yeah. open to interpretation, and this is very interesting because they're talking yeah. about this with the San Bernardino iPhone. Yeah. In that a company and a law enforcement can can't compel a company to, to decrypt something, and that's a really e- interesting legal precedent, which is going to have impact on these sort of things as well. Yes. Because exactly that, people do want to get access to um, people's accounts because maybe someone's passed away, but they've got a whole bunch of photos that they'd like to download, or they'd like to put a message up and say thank you, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's something we're going to have to. Time will tell. I think we'll talk about this again. Yeah, we'll, we'll, time will tell. Something's going to come up and we'll find out more about this as, as it goes along, but we don't really know at this stage. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into our next topic. Did you know PixelZip is available on other platforms? You can find previous episodes on iTunes, Pocket Casts, YouTube, and on the PixelZip website. Earlier this week, I had a chat to Matt Comey. He's one part of Big Bucket Software, a game development company that has started, I guess, a collaboration between places, uh, 
on two sides of the planet, basically. Um, and we asked him a little bit about how he came to build his game Space Age and also the first game that he brought out, which was called Incident, and working between the different places in the planet where his team exist and sort of the games that he liked to play and what he the games that he likes to make. My name's Matt Comey. I have been running a tiny software company called Big Bucket. Um, started out making little dashboard widgets and stuff like that and then moved to iPhone and I made a couple of apps first and then sort of had the breakout with a couple of games. So made The Incident and Space Age with uh, my artist colleague Nevin Mergen in uh, Portland. So we're a two, two and a, well, two, three man shop. Uh, I make, I write the code, Nevin does the art and uh, Cable Sasser does the uh, music. And yeah, that's that's what we've been doing uh, as a trio, I suppose, since oh geez, what's that? Two thousand and eleven, I think that's right. Yeah, it's pretty hard to remember dates, but that's about right. What are some of the biggest changes that you've noticed in the time from de- developing the incident and then going into a much more modern, a much more developed app sort of uh, infrastructure and environment now with Space Age? Well, I think. When the incident came out, um, that was pretty much what um, the scope of of all indie games. I mean, I, I might be misremembering, um, or you know, it's uh, it's what I perceived the environment to be. But certainly, indie developers at the time were making pick up and play kind of games, and that was all there really was, and they cost money. And you paid for them, and that was all there was to it. And now uh, those kinds of games do still exist, but they're um, they're free. You know, they're, typically they're free, or at least the ones that you you, you still hear about are. So something like um, Crossy Road. You know, Crossy Road could have existed um, years ago, but you would have paid ninety nine cents for it. You know. Um, and I, I guess it probably wouldn't have been as successful as it, as it has been um, now. Not to say it's anything about the quality, but it's just the scope of what a success is nowadays is dramatically higher than I think it used to be. Um, so, and then, um, and, and yeah, and now the field, I guess, of, well, not the field, the, the definition of indie game now is much broader. Um, there, are, there are big games and there are small games and there are games that you pay for, there are games that are free, there's in-app purchase and there's not. It's just, it's a, it's a bigger market to sort of, I guess, um, stand out in. And, um, and, and, and really, after we made the incident, our immediate sort of, um, uh, the direction we wanted to take Big Bucket next was to make something big. And, and so that was not... A reaction to the market or anything like that it was just now let's make a game that we would have played as kids you know rather than what we perceived to be something that would work on an iphone like we didn't actually know whether space age would would really have that much of an audience given that that's not what people do on their iphones or ipads even really they don't they don't sort of sit down on the couch and 
um, you know, get engrossed in it. It's the sort of thing you pick up and you play waiting in line and on the bus and stuff like that. So, so we're, we're glad that it did work out that way. But yeah, that really, I guess, I guess that sort of roundabout answer to your question, just that it's like, it used to be much more of the niche that there is still, you know, the way that we, um, what, what the incident was is still around today, but it exists as a smaller part of a much broader sort of um, range of games. Both the incident and Space Age have got a, you know, sort of a beautiful sort of retro styled art design. You said that you, you kind of made, wanted to make the games that you had, you'd played in your youth and the games that you'd played and thing. Is Was that the main consideration when you're making a game like this or was it just something that made more sense for the sort of game that you were trying to make? Yeah, uh, that, that had a pretty weird history. I mean, it started off as um, I pitched it, you know, because it's interesting because it, it, it looks like a, um, like a vision, like, a, like a, um, the realisation of a vision, but really it's just it is the product of a whole bunch of little decisions along the way, you know. Um, and so I remember the initial pitch was I just wanted to make a real-time strategy, like a straight-up real-time strategy with infantry and, and tanks and guns and whatever, you know, uh, terrain, just, just like a red alert, you know. Red Alert was probably, I mean, it's it's in my top five, right? From when I was a kid, it's it's one of my top five games. And I just wanted to make it. And so, you know, Nevin then came back with, well, can it be not people killing people? And I was like, cool, works for me. What, what are they killing? He's like, aliens and humans. Excellent, aliens and humans. Now we need a theme. All right, well, and then he said, have you seen um, Forbidden Planet? You know, I said, no, I haven't seen it. He goes, well, check it out. Here's a picture. Like, here's a still. I go, okay, I really like that aesthetic. And so it just sort of developed from there. But ultimately, you know, it started as let's make a real-time strategy because I loved that game as a kid, you know. Um, And then, of course, it molded into a sort of hybrid with an adventure game. And that is because I, I... uh, I think I think I can speak for Nevin as well in saying that adventure games were our favorite games as kids. Like, um, so it was Red Alert for me and Monkey Island Two stand out as like defining, you know, <laughs> how it is that I came to be a, a computer game developer. Um, and so yeah, Space Age is I guess you know it's like a bit of a love letter to that kind of thing. Um, and that is the retro aesthetic. I don't know if we can. Uh, I guess we can put it back, put it down to that because really I don't play many games nowadays. So when I think of computer games, I think of the kind of games that we make because that's kind of the last time that I was engrossed in that sort of uh, culture. With stuff that you're working on in the future, is it something that are you going for that same sort of sort of idea with you know what you're trying to make and are they sort of reminiscent or you know referential to you know the games that you played while growing up yeah and they're kind of a little bit i mean nothing's nothing's that concrete yet uh but they are it feels like evolving with the as we are progressing as you know sort of a i guess a studio so are the games sort of progressing with the consoles of the, uh, you know, the history that we're recreating, you know? So it's kind of like um, uh, the incident was meant to be something 
that looked like it could maybe be played on Nintendo, but really it couldn't have. You know, it's because of the the crazy, you know, the physics that is happening and the rotation of the objects that's happening. It uh, it could never have existed on that platform, but it almost looks like it could have. And then you know, from there, it's going to be you know, well, what about Super Nintendo and then Nintendo sixty four and and that sort of thing. And so I take it. I suspect, I mean, I can't say, it's just that we have plans that we'll have something that sort of looks a little bit like a Nintendo 64 sometime in the future, you know? It's just like something, I would like to start tinkering with 3D, but not modern 3D, more sort of like really retro-shaded, low-poly models, you know, that, that sort of thing. Matt Comey of Big Bucket Software. We will stick a link up to uh, to their page. Uh, you can go to spaceageapp.com or bigbucketsoftware.com and check out their stuff. They've got more stuff in the pipeline, but, yeah, it might be a few years until uh, that all comes out, but we'll be definitely keeping an eye on that one. So when entering, when choosing to enter the gaming world, one is faced with the major question of what platform to align yourself with. Sure, we may float from one to another, but generally our loyalty is with one. Now our problems will seemingly be solved as Microsoft has just announced that it intends to open up its access with cross-platform play across PC and other consoles. Now this is on the back of, well, this is coming to light because they've announced this week that Rocket League uh, players will be able to play uh, Xbox, PC, cross-platform, love. Um, which is great. The one thing I'm really interested about this is, sure, you can probably play against other people on different consoles, but are you going to be able to join a game that your friend might be on an Xbox and you're on a PlayStation? Are you going to be able to invite them in or are they just going to be on any old thing? Because yeah, so that's the real key interest So also, what's your friends list going to look like now? Well, currently, um, with say, because, you know, this does exist already. Sony have come out and said, you know, like, old news, been doing it for 14 years or whatever. Since 2002, I think it goes back to with Final Fantasy 11, yep. PS2 and PS, uh, PC support. Uh, anyway, the way it works currently, basically, is that you can't really... You need to open private games to enable yourself to be able to play with PC or whatever. Like this is with like Rocket League anyway. So there's no matchmaking. You can't just just match up. And there's, there's also there's no cross-platform chat, and uh, there's other there's all sorts of other problems. Um, but the biggest one I think anyway, as as a console gamer and knowing that the PC master race is you know probably a little bit quicker on the uh, the draw, is exactly that. Like the PC kids absolutely owning or the PC people owning the console people. One of the big examples, I mean, this isn't a new idea that people on a PC can play against things, as you said, with Final Fantasy. One of the other ones that actually came out really early in the the piece was the original Shadowrun game, which came out on Xbox 360. And in that, they had, uh, you know, multiplayer between PC and Xbox players. But the way that they balanced it was they had a specific sort of campaign and storyline and, and races and characters that you could play on PC and a specific bunch of characters that you could play on uh, Xbox. So they sort of basically limited each particular thing so that they could balance them between the two. So that you didn't cool. just give everyone the same thing. You actually gave also an incentive for, to try it out on different platforms as well. Right. Because um, it's kind of like it's a mix between sort of cyberpunk and fantasy. That's this kind of world. So they had some sort of fantasy races on on um, PC and, and some ones on, on Xbox, which, which were specific for each one. So I didn't actually think of it in terms of content delivery. I just thought of it in terms of just playing against each other. But that's interesting that you would 
would still want to encourage people to try it on either. Yeah, and not an, just sell one. There's inherent advantages as well to ha- playing between. Uh, you know the two different consoles we talked about Rocket League earlier in the thing Rocket League has a bunch of exclusive content that is uh, you know platform specific so what yeah. happens when you play against someone who's got uh, who's playing on an Xbox One who's driving around in a warthog and you're playing on a Playstation does that I do want they, that warthog uh, a lot do they pop up as a generic car or, or how does that work I mean there's a yeah, lot so of different is that asset even in the Playstation there's version there's so many bugs to sort out with to, yeah. you know with every single game as well and like I feel like this is going to you know Rocket League is one where you're not going to have as many problems I feel like as it's a little bit more of a balanced platform game. Yeah. But, you know, say you're serious first-person shooters or whatever, there's a vast difference in gameplay ability, I guess, there. Uh, For something like your Call of Duties, for example, playing between consoles... It seems very like very easy. Super yeah, so, for example, right. what you could do is make teams on uh, one team is on Xbox and one team is on PlayStation. Yeah, and you know they, they, those teams can talk to themselves and each other, um, but can't talk to the opposite team. And that way, you can kind of segregate between the two of them. But then you you, you run the risk that maybe one platform will be underrepresented, and you know there won't be enough people on a particular team. And then maybe you just actually have to play a whole Xbox. Game. Do you th- so oh, you go. Do, go. You, do you think that this move is because Xbox? as a whole, is underselling compared oh, to PS4. Absolutely. And no, they, grad, sorry, keep yeah, going yeah. again. <laughs> and do you think that do they you, just you want... Think not? Well, I think I, I just think it's very interesting that uh, Xbox had no interest in going cross-platform many, when many were, years ago yeah, when PlayStation yeah. was uh, doing it and when Xbox were on top. But now PlayStation's kind of back in the uh, the hot ring, they're on the hot seat. Xbox is all about it. It's just And they comical. want people to join the environment via any way possible, even by you know our Windows 10 story that we covered last week. Or yeah. Was last week? Yeah. And I think this is probably moves yeah. in when we're talking about that in the week, previous week where this is probably the move that they're making is they want to have one standard platform that everyone can kind of sit on regardless of Windows or, or Xbox yeah. uh, but then also put in enough hooks in there so that people can build in cross-platform stuff. And for games, for example, like the one engine that they actually mentioned was something called Monogame and Square Heroes um, is a game that uses Monogame to develop for that and, you know, something like Square Heroes that we've, we've featured before would make perfect sense to be multiplayer because there is no communication in the game everyone just kind of moves around on the thing and you know you could balance it between xbox and, and the, other yeah, the control scheme is pretty like it's pretty different so that i don't think you'll have any particular advantage well i, I beg to differ we we did this oh, actually true, we yeah, played yeah. square heroes uh with the we were using xbox controllers and gianni was using his pc uh mouse keyboard and keyboard and, mouse. and he absolutely chopped us and i'm not okay. like i'm not just having a uh, bitch obviously because we're you know we're pretty balanced i guess in playing but not that different what if he was just better than you well maybe but he was also <laughs> that much better than james as well okay. and it was just uh probably not better than james because james owns every game on the planet <laughs> yeah. so but yeah there was an obvious difference between how easy it was to play with the keyboard i mean, I mean this isn't anything new we know this this difference yeah. exists between uh controllers and mouse keyboard players but it's about bridging that gap that, I, that I'm concerned about, I guess, and you know, very interested in how they plan to keep it balanced and level. That being said, I think the console players that exclusively play console, they are per- more than happy to use a controller when a PC person is using a mouse. Like, I don't I, think I'm, I'm not. I'm, yeah. I'm a like devout console player, and I know that if. I'm allowed to play with PC players and there's no kind of, uh, I guess, handicap or balancing that done there that I'm, I'm going to be unfairly kind of outgunned in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I, I feel that if someone was to say, all right, like, let's use Destiny as an example. Like, I'll verse you, Mitch, and Destiny. 
but I'm going to be using a keyboard and mouse. I'll be like, sure, why not? Because the Destiny experience I know and that I'm good at is with a controller. But that's, it, that's, that's enjoyability and performance are not the same thing. I guess if that's true. I guess if you're just playing in a, like a fun match with your friends, it doesn't really matter. But say, for example, in a competitive thing where response times on mice and uh, keyboard and delay and all that sort of stuff is a big thing, like milliseconds matter in those sort of things. So I can see it not, you know, there'd be a standardized format of hardware, basically. Right. Um, I, I, don't, it's, it, I don't know. Maybe it won't be fun to play with people across platform and maybe you'll just go actually I'm going to lock it down to my particular platform because yeah. it's not well, actually fun and maybe it won't be enjoyable to join up with your friends on a different platform because it basically means you're just playing in the same game but you're not actually talking to each other or maybe you'll have to actually call them on Skype or something or on the phone in so order to actually have that communication that's between it. the two. I, I, for, for this to really work and really take off and be super successful there needs to be a good amount of balance and there needs to be no limitations. I mean we need to be able to yeah. talk to each other we need to be able to whatever go into the same maybe a standardization of, of voice chat format maybe for like, example you know, maybe there's an open voice chat format they can have, and maybe there's an open party format that an they open can... server system yeah. for just people that are playing cross platforms. Whereas if you want to play, you know, normally you've still got your normal PlayStation Network or your and Xbox it also makes, Live or whatever. It makes exclusive a bit more interesting as well because then people will definitely buy whatever the exclusive is because then you can still get any other game yeah. and play yeah. with any other person depending I on the think... console. It's not so much of a thing like, well, oh, well, look, I'm not going to buy that because my friends all have this and I can't. Well, play the with exclusive them. stuff might just go away because yeah. well, now, like, if like like you buy Destiny, there are certain guns that you can access in Destiny that the other one can't. And suddenly, what you're going to enter this multiplayer game with? If you're an Xbox player, you're going to enter a multiplayer game with a PS4 player that potentially has better gear than you or yeah. more options. It's going to be it's interesting. So, from a, from a differently from a commercial perspective, look, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Pixel Sift. We hope you enjoyed the show. Now, it's our pleasure to announce the winners of our world's fastest pizza competition. Thanks to Oscar Britton who joined us last week for giving us some keys to give away. Yay. The winners hey. for the competition are Will D, Blair P, Corinna M, Bevan H, and Arthur D. Congratulations and thank you for everyone who entered. We'll be emailing you your Steam keys later today. Later today, and we're looking forward to giving out more things out in the future as well we have a website it's www.pixelsift.com.au uh, Scott where can people go if they want to find us on social media uh, people you can find us at facebook.com forward slash pixelsift twitter.com forward slash pixelsift twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift and youtube.com forward slash pixelsiftau and Mitch uh, people if they want to listen to our other episodes yeah so as you mentioned before the website and you can also subscribe on iTunes and Pocket Casts or using the RS link on our page and if you give us a rating and a review or recommend us to your friends we'd really appreciate it it makes a big difference in helping people find our show and gives us a bit more uh, you know more, more people who can give us feedback the more yeah the but it helps Johnny's self esteem it does Good. but also we like to give you feedback <laughs> as well so that's yeah. always great thanks for joining us we will see you again next time peace out bye If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.